Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Today we are discussing the first installment in our new retrospective series for Ghost in the Shell. This is your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan from Chicago. Now, we have both seen Ghost in the Shell before, but Alan is the one really excited to talk about it. He he had this idea for a retrospective series. Yes, I did. Uh, yeah, I've seen, and I've always seen the first anime uh, movie here. I have seen, we've talked about this before too, I have seen the newest one with Scarlett Johansson, um, but I haven't seen any of the other sequels like Ghost in the Shell, Innocence, or anything like that. So... I've only seen this one. I think we've. I think you saw Ghost in the Shell: Innocence, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Uh, no, we both. I saw Ghost in the Shell, and then I'm pretty sure we watched it together. And then we watched the new live-action Scarlett Johansson movie together. I have seen Ghost in the Shell: Standalone Complex. That's the which, one I'm thinking of. Yes, that is a TV series with two seasons, but they did make some of those episodes into a movie. I don't know much about that and I haven't seen that. But yeah, so we're we're like we've seen these some of these movies but we're also kind of new to the yeah, series. Yeah. Yeah. Now we there is yeah, the standalone complex and there is Arise, the OVA, there's a countless number of those. We are not going to be talking about those just the movies. Right. all those that we're going to be touching on. But yes, I have had I think this counts to be my fifth time seeing Ghost in the Shell uh, in total because I watched it for the first time about a year and a half ago. No, yeah, year year and a half, two years ago with my cousin. And then I watched it again later that week with my other roommate. And then I watched it one more time after that. I may have been with you. Uh, and then we watched the Scarlett Johansson version. Right. And then, of course, this podcast, I watched it twice. So I've seen it quite a number of times, um, s- withholding judgment until, of course, we get into the podcast. But yeah, I am pr- I am pretty well versed in this this movie, at least. I know it pretty well. Now, this movie was released March 29th here in the United States, 1996. It is based off the manga by Shiro Masamune. The screenplay was done by Kazunori Ito. The music was done by Kenji Kawai. The director of photography is Hisawa Shira. And the production company, I believe this was a Japanese and British uh, collaboration, production company's production IG. And it is directed by Mamoru Oshi. And also some of the producers of this movie did produce Akira, which is... Ghost in the Shell and Akira are arguably some of the most famous anime ever, especially anime theatrical movies. And Akira came out in 88, so almost 10 years prior to this one. Oh, yeah, exactly. And Akira, now that paved the way for Western, for America, more Western societies to experience and see anime for the first time and what it has, what the potential is. Ghost in the Shell was supposed to be something like that but didn't garner as much attention until much later uh when it was released on home media and became more of a sleeper hit this of course is now almost up there with for some as on the same level as akira where uh it has that same level of impact because you can look at it now and okay for example the matrix it's taken heavily off of 
uh, this movie, heavy heavy on the themes and heavy on uh, just visual style in general, uh, because they showed this. It was the Wachowski brothers showed their producer Joel Silver, and he said that he wanted to make this movie. Uh, he wanted to make it real, and so because of that, in comes the Matrix by him because he saw this movie and of course they are very similar in a lot of ways so yeah it, it's this this and akira are pretty influential not only just with anime but with just movie making in general uh some even say this is one of the best anime of all time one of the animes you should see before you die things like that it's yeah very influential very popular and uh made quite an impact when it came out and even currently, it still holds very high ratings on IMDb. It has an 8, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 96%. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, even now, it's considered to be one of the best, and I can see it, it's gonna, I mean, it's if it isn't already considered a classic, it's going to become one. This is an anime, not only an anime classic, but just a classic, I would even say movie in general. Uh, of course, we still have, I would say we still have a few more years before it reaches that status and stays there. Uh, in terms of a, like a movie classic, but this is at the very least an anime classic in the same vein as uh, maybe even Cowboy Bebop, the the anime, the TV show, or uh, Akira, like we just mentioned. I just looked, and Akira has an 8.1, so it's barely higher than Ghost in the Shell. Right, yeah. Uh, for There is a... Uh, English dub, and there's also a, of course, the original Japanese uh, voices. I did not find who did the uh, English voices. I'm I'm looking on IMDb, and I'm not sure these are the the English dub cast. Yeah, I don't know how much how popular or how public they made those voices. I've looked around a little bit too, and I haven't really found much. Uh, I'm sure on the wiki they have it all over the place. I'm sure you could probably find it on the Ghost in the Shell wiki, wherever it's at. But yeah, I mean, usually, unless it's a pretty popular anime, you have to look for the English voice actors. Right. Now, for the uh, total domestic gross, it didn't gross very much. I couldn't find very much information on the release of this movie here in the States. Uh, from what I found, it grossed here in the States uh, $515,000. Oh, I'm sorry, no. $515,905,000. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I just mentioned, it didn't do too great in the box office. If I'm not, I, I know Akira did better, but once it was released on home media, it just eventually beca- uh, gained some more cult status, and now it is considered. A classic at this point but yeah when it came when it was released in 95 or maybe even 96 in america didn't do so hot in the box office i mean i think it did much better in the japanese box office for obvious reasons but yeah america i mean even still at this time not too into anime but if, especially back in 95 not so much at all right and the animation of this movie is interesting because it was achieved through digitally generated animation which is a combination of cell animation computer graphics and audio that is put into a digital data format and the animation is very clean it's honestly it's gorgeous animation and it just makes me sad because so many animated movies today and i'm not talking about 
3D CGI animated movies, but 2D type animation movies and even shows just look so bad. I'm 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 talking to you DC with all of your animated movies. They're just I I know this is much more expensive and those are more so direct to disc, but even like the Batman Killing Joke, which did get a limited Fathom event release, the animation is just oh, I just it's just not artistic at all whereas this is. Right, yeah. You're only going to see a clear passion with this kind of animation uh, with anime in general. Uh, And even now, anime is beginning to move away if it hasn't already. Actually, I'll tell you this. Most nine times out of ten, a more recent anime is not going to be cell animated uh, because, yeah, it's expensive and it takes a long time and more computer-generated stuff, uh, whether that still be 2D, 3D, can be done much quicker and more efficient and much faster. Uh, than traditional hand-drawn cell animation. Although I would even argue that cell animation, in my mind, just looks so much better than an- than computer animated uh, anime. And I and I I think I mentioned this too in my Violet Evergarden po- uh, article, where I, I briefly mentioned it that I was that the polished look of that show, although it looks very good, the polished look is almost a distraction because of how clean it is. Whereas with this one, I mean, you can tell the, the frame kind of likes to wobble all the time. Uh, when characters move and stuff like that, they're kind of shaking around. You get that cell animation look, but even with this movie, it, it works because of the setting and because of what it's going for. You don't really get that. It's really clean now. And some may not have an issue with that. I personally, and I think you are the same way. We kind of like it to be more traditional. Uh, it just looks it looks like more harder work is put into the project than anything. Oh, absolutely. And cell animation has been around for a really long time. Uh, yeah. Walt Disney uh, used to use that animation for their movies such as Sleeping Beauty, Snow White. And it is funny because Sleeping Beauty was, I believe, the nominated for best picture of the year and it was the first animated movie ever to do so now it has its own category i guess but regardless this cell animation is a long time uh in the making and this was able to do that as well but also use some digitally generated backgrounds or animation together it's a really cool blend I it's unfortunate we haven't seen more use of that now like alan said that's it's really only has been used with anime. You can see it with Akira and a couple others, but I'd be awesome to see it revived more. Yeah, I know that. I think your name, I believe that was done in. I don't know if it was cell animation, but I do know that it was more hand drawn, more traditional. If I'm not, if right. I'm not mistaken, I could be very, very wrong about that. But yes. Uh, yeah, you don't really see cell animation very much anymore. Sometimes you might. Uh, with more traditional shows or something like that. But usually it's going to be either Flash or it's going to be um, computer animated, uh, either 2D or 3D. It just it really just depends. Those are going to be much quicker and easier options to get your show out. But at least with Ghost in the Show, they combine these two because at the time, and it kind of turned out to be true, uh, digital generated animation was considered to be the future of animation. And they even went as far as 
the lighting in this movie, they went as far as to do a, as was said, uh, it was a very unusual lighting technique because essentially what they did is they integrated light and darkness into the cells with attention to light and shadow sources, which basically means that they focused the light to where it needed to be in a more realistic setting instead of uh, just drawing it in uh, like you normally see. So even then, they kind of went outside of the cell animation portion. It's a mixture. The Ghost in the Shell is a mixture of new and old in not only its story, some of its storytelling aspects, but also how it was constructed and made in the uh, production process. Well, I'm ready to jump into the plot if you are. Yes, I am too. So we are about to talk about some spoilers for Ghost in the Shell. If you have not seen it, and I do recommend you see it before hearing any spoilers and getting into it, go ahead and pause right now, go watch the movie, and then come back, and you will be ready to talk about Ghost in the Shell with us. Well, so for the plot for this movie, even though the movie without credits is, what do you say, about an hour and 15 minutes? Yeah, about an hour. It's pretty short, uh, but it's quite a dense movie. It's very dense. On the surface, the plot is fairly basic. It involves this Section 9 special task force that uses this thermal optic special technology, which is done by the main character, uh, mostly just referred to as Major. And uh, like a said I, I don't maybe i didn't say it it takes place in the not too distant future now back in 96 it was quite a ways away from when this movie takes place i don't know if we ever officially know when this movie takes place i think the wiki says what year it is um but it is never outright said in the movie itself 2029 is what the is what uh wiki says but yeah it is never explicitly stated in the movie what year this is okay so essentially major and section nine must track down this puppet master that can ghost hack into people's ghosts and we'll talk more about what that specifically means a little later when we get into the review and essentially they do come you know quote face to face and Major and the Puppet Master are merged into this one being that, gosh, it's such a dense philosophical plot talking about this bio-organic being that is evolved past memories, but it needs, the, the machine is better than the human, but the human needs the machine and vice versa, and that's what we ultimately get. I don't know. Alan can probably explain a little better than what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. To, I mean, you've basically got the, the big plot points down. But yeah, essentially, the whole reason for the Puppet Master is it was an experiment by Section 6, more or less for political reasons, either to get their way or something like that, was why they figured out this late into the movie. That's why he was created. Uh, but the Puppet Master, once he... So Section 6 moved... Well, they migrated him they forced him into a shell or as they call them shells or a cyborg as they're more commonly known as in the movie 
and essentially it kind of has a mind of its own and now it kind of has some kind of consciousness and it goes on the run and it escapes section six and so section six goes to track it down and then of course this is when this is the scene when the naked lady is run over by the truck and section nine picks it up uh and that's when section six comes in so essentially what happens is a cyborg with only a cyber brain somehow has a ghost in it which we will talk about what that means later but it somehow has a ghost in it and it knows it has consciousness and they're like how is this even possible because even the major has pieces of human in her and so they were like how is this even possible why is this happening so at this of course at this point they have no idea what's going on they figure this all out later but yes and so then a, I believe Section Six comes breaks in to Section Nine's facility and steals away the go- the puppet master, who at this point is completely been migrated into uh, this shell essentially. And so then at the very end, yeah, our main character and uh, our main character and the puppet master merge into one, and essentially his whole goal is to become a human. And the only way he can do that is to procreate and die, which is what he does with our main character. Very philosophical. I mean, even that's only scratching the surface, and that's why we're here to talk about it more in depth. But yes, very philosophical, quite dense. Uh, This is... No wonder this is considered to be an anime classic, because this is not only a dense movie, but I would even consider it an important movie, because the director said that he wanted to explore the importance of computers in our world and that there were really no other Hollywood movies that were doing that. And so he took it upon himself to do so by the anime, or no, sorry, by the manga that had been released, I'm pretty sure at this time. So yeah, that's basically the plot of Ghost in the Show. It's straightforward, but in terms of understanding all of the logic that goes behind it, it is more dense. So I think also Ghost in the Shell inspired the Will Smith movie, iRobot. Because there are some very – I know that is based off, I believe, Isaac Asimov's short story, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. They're both kind of different. But regardless, I kept thinking of Oliver Cromwell in that movie talking about there's these random segments of code that will group together or kind of start evolving all by themselves. And he would call them ghosts in the machine. And that seems very similar to what this is talking about here. And I think this movie does a decent job of saying what if computers progress to such a point because already now everybody knows this who has any sort of, you know, even 20th century technology where it will just do random weird things that it's not really supposed to do, that it's not programmed to do. And you think it should just run like a well-oiled machine, and yes, most of the time it does, but then sometimes it acts outside of the norms. And I think this is kind of what is going on with the Puppet Master here, where he is this, they talk about he is this code that was this abnormal segment that they tried to get rid of, but instead of that happening, he was able to evade them and continue to evolve, and he is essentially like a puppet master he is manipulating different scenarios to achieve his goals and i gotta say what when they talk about all of this stuff it's quite dense you would need probably multiple viewings to fully understand what's being said but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy this movie 
upon just first watching or even subsequent watchings if you're not fully getting the philosophical aspects of it. Yeah, this is a, yeah, we've said it before and I'll say it again, this is a pretty dense movie. Uh, It honestly didn't take me until my third viewing where I began to understand what this movie is really trying to say um, and what it's being, what's being portrayed. Uh, Yes, the... uh, Puppet Master, I mentioned this earlier in the summary, uh, his entire goal is to essentially die. He wants to become very, he wants to become as human as possible, and he wants to, even says that uh, genes are basically the footprint of life, just in general. And so what he ends up doing in the end is he migrates with the with the major, and, they, and then once again, she... Uh, becomes a kid, and so I mean, we'll, when we get to that moment, we'll get we'll talk about it more in depth. But yeah, it's interesting that he even says that the whole thing about live fear is really the progression of life and death, and procreating, and essentially leaving a legacy, or maybe not even leaving a legacy, but continuing your species. I mean, it's it's very very heavy dialogue, very interesting way of. A very interesting view, but the biggest point of this is that everything is viewed from a computer standpoint. It's a sea, this is a sea of information. The puppet master is the embodiment of all information, um, and that's how he became the puppet master. That's how he became a bit more conscious, and now he thinks that he is very close to being human. And the, basically, the whole movie is exploring okay. So what makes a human being? What makes man? Is it the experiences? Is it all of the information they get to learn? But there's a line, there's also a line from Bateau. Uh, I think it was, yeah, a line from Bateau after they capture the uh, the garbage truck, the, the garbage man and the other guy. Um, and he says that man only learns a minuscule amount of information in his entire lifetime. I mean philosophical this is in like this is heavy stuff and well of course i will get more into depth with that but yeah just to kind of level the playing field this is kind of what we're getting into this is very philosophical this is stuff i love to talk about and i do believe the movie is ultimately satisfying because it does come full circle because in the beginning there is an opening text that says, in the not-too-distant future, when the corporate networks fill the earth with electronic and opti- optical communication lines, but society has not yet been too computerized to erase nations and races. Which is extremely fascinating that technology could create some type of... Where there is no more countries or nations or even races... And honestly, I can see a lot of this also being taken from Blade Runner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is very heavily influenced by Blade Runner as well. And just not not just the setting, because the setting looks very similar as well, but still very, very different. But also this question of there is this there's no longer any race like they're beyond a race and i think the movie does a good job of even portraying that with the characters because i i don't know what country they're in i believe it's in japan that would be my guess uh i know the city is styled after hong kong mm-hmm. but i don't believe all, all of the characters in this movie uh all they don't all look 
Japanese or even Asian for that matter. Right. Like even uh, Major and uh, how do you pronounce his name? But Batau? Bateau. Bateau. Yeah. I don't – to me, they don't look Asian. And I think that's interesting because uh, we know Bateau's eyes have been replaced and humanity is constantly uh, changing out different uh, parts of their body to – upgrade themselves and this like biomechanical uh, aspect is becoming so much more integrated that it's hard to tell uh, what who is fully human what is even the value of a human if it can just be upgraded hardware or um, <clears throat> yeah I think I think that's all I had to say about yeah. that Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. And there, there is the scene when, uh, essentially, where the major goes scuba diving, and then Bateau kind of catches up with her. She asks him. There are two things in the scene that kind of connect to what you're talking to. She asks him, Bateau, how much of you is still human? And he kind of waves off the answer. Um, but what she goes on to say is, I okay, Kip, back, but some backstory to the major. She is mostly a cyborg. She has pieces of human brain in her, but for the most part, she is a cyborg. And we'll find out later on that this thing about being a cyborg, she's not exactly too happy about. She may be treated like a human, but she doesn't feel human. Um, but that being beside the point, she goes on to say in the scene that I may look and sound like every other person, but it's my experiences and how I perceive information in the world around me that makes me who I am. And that's essentially what the whole movie is getting to when you really grind it down is, uh, at least in this scene and next scenes prior, uh, this scene is more or less looking at, well, okay, how do we perceive information? Uh, is Does that make us human? Um, how much information can we take in? You know, things of that nature. And then the overarching search is what makes a human? Is it information? Uh, and stuff like that, which is very relevant because, if, I mean, if you look at in today's world, you hear about data leaks and everything and just knowing information and leaking information is a huge deal because information is kind of priceless. So, yeah, this is not only a relevant movie today, but also a very important movie and one that I feel still asks questions that will be asked years into the future. And... I just find this this scene. I, this scene, I actually got I had to go back and watch a couple of times because it is just it just kind of says something and then just moves on because it has so much to say. And the best way of giving it out there is to move it in this way. And so it, it becomes a, a game of how much can I get in on this on this first viewing, you know? Right, and. Just, I guess just exploring more about what the major does talk about. And she says a lot that, yeah, you would need to watch it multiple times to fully get what she's saying. She, to me, this philosophy is very much reminiscent of Descartes, who was trying to explain how he knows that he is living in reality and he is not some creation of some evil genius that is just watching him and playing with him for his own purposes essentially so he goes through this process of discerning what is reality and of course there's that famous cogito 
I think, therefore I am. And I can see this movie really talking a lot about Descartes philosophy. Not a philosophy major. I took one philosophy class and that was the one connection (laughs) that I, I could pull up and remember. But to me, it does seem to question that a lot where major says, what if I have these memories from long ago and they just uh, took my memories and put it in this mechanical body? There's just a lot of questioning. Uh, Like she doesn't know. And that kind of reminded me of when Descartes was talking about when I'm asleep, I don't question whether or not I'm dreaming. But when I'm awake, I can question uh, I can question it. And I think that's a really good point. And something that does seem to be blurred a lot by this movie is the puppet master, because they're like, oh, is this puppet master just AI? Yeah. They're like, no, he is not just AI. And he even says he's not either because he clearly has this uh, desire for reproduction and he's like a machine can only go so far but this organic aspect of reproduction would be the ultimate combo it seems like right and they they say a very interesting line when they pick up the puppet master for the first time uh because they asked are you ai like is this artificial intelligence and the puppet master comes back and says even a toy doll can seem to have a soul considering how much i have Considering how much is crammed in there, I would be shocked to see to know if there is a ghost. Like, and this this theme of being a doll goes farther than just this one line because later on, uh, when we see the major um, essentially reborn at the very end of the movie, she's laying on this chair in a position that makes her look like a doll. And of course, comparing that to very late in the movie when they merge, uh, yeah, it's. This is essentially saying, from what I understand, is that um, really it really comes down to how do you perceive it? Um, how do you perceive to have consci- consciousness? Because for a human, it's very easy, but for a computer, it's very different in in its way of how it perceives and how it relives in this reality. There's an interesting line where they're talking about could a cyborg generate its own soul? then what's so important about being human? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's a really good point because if the soul is just this randomly generating thing that can take itself into something that's human, and this is something we talked a lot about in my theology and science fiction class, is where does the line draw between what is human? Like what if we there is some AI that does seem so human but ultimately, it came down to the soul. Does it have a soul or not? And I don't think this movie will give you a definitive answer because that's not the point is to provide answers, but to bring up these important questions and just these really deep questions as well. And I think if there was this capability of uh, – a cyborg to have a soul then to me oh gosh and that's also talked about so much in blade runner 2049 mm-hmm. that goes even farther with this and i think it does an extremely good job you can listen to that episode in the archives but to me it seems like if if there was this possibility then i don't i don't think there would be a god per se 
Yeah, yeah. Now, religion in this movie isn't exactly touched on. Um, that kind of goes outside of the realm of the movie. It does uh, quote but the Bible twice, But that would have been so interesting. What was that? It does quote the Bible twice, though. Yes, yeah. It does quote the Bible in many, uh, a couple of moments. But uh, I would have actually been really, really interesting to see had this movie taken on that role of religion and see where that kind of fits in with everything. It briefly, subtly mentions it, but never really goes into depth with it like it does with information. But going back to the scene that you were talking about, uh, that scene when they're on the elevator, Bateau says too, because at this moment, the major is kind of like, she's confused. She's, I mean, they even bring it up, you know, she's acting odd uh, when they're, when him and I think it's the, uh, Colonel, no, I forget the guy who's in charge of it all. I forget his name. Um, but he, they're talking, him and Bateau are talking, and they're like, she's acting odd or whatever. Clearly, she's, and she says it here in this, in the elevator, this elevator scene, um, she's not very happy and is just confused by this puppet master and how it can almost be a human. And Bateau says to her, You're treated like a human and you operate like one. And then she goes on to say, well, no one has seen their brain. You haven't seen your own brain. And how can you determine, uh, or we just determine that everybody is like us, like us exists. If, a, if the cyber brain can, if the cyber brain creates a ghost and a soul, on what grounds should we believe in ourselves? And then Bateau just kind of, at that point, just kind of waves it off. Like, okay, well, whatever, you know. Yeah, interesting stuff. Because, yeah, if we have, if we've created something that can create its own soul, what even is the point of a soul at that moment? Because then you have, you can just create one by your own whim, you know, whatever you want, essentially. The, the movie doesn't exactly go down this route to, not to too much extent. It's more focused on information, but it is something that I feel it felt important to bring up. And so it did. And I think that it is very that it does it was very important that they did that as well. I was very surprised to hear the major start quoting First Corinthians thirteen because I do believe that is an important quote or else it wouldn't have been put in here. And it's one of the last lines of the movie, actually, is the end of that verse. And she's talking about basically all of a sudden she just says, Now I see in part and I am only known in part but then, and then eventually she says at the end of the movie, like, but then I see in full and I will be known in full. And she mentions also the other part of the scripture, how she says, I, it's like looking in a mirror, uh, we can only see uh, part of it or something. It's, it's like looking through a dim mirror. And I, I think that's fascinating because it is saying it's impossible to derive at the fullness of truth because we can't fully comprehend it we're working our way towards it in certain ways and i think that is what at least what the major is pondering in this movie is her humanity and uh, oh yeah knowing knowing in a fuller capacity is it possible to know fuller is it is that something that we can only know um in the afterlife through the creator or is that something that this puppet master and major combined together can they know in some fuller evolved way if that makes sense and i i don't know i think it is a really incredible usage to put that in here because it was written 2000 years ago 
But that concept is being brought up in this movie that takes place in a time that we're drawing nearer to. And so I think it's trying to say that is, uh, this ultimate truth able to be known now through some process of using the machine that can do and think better than us. And then we will combine ourselves with it somehow to create this ultimate being or is, or is that not the case at all? Right. And one other way you can possibly take this uh, is, okay, say we were hypothetically, which is not so hypothetical as much anymore, but say we were to create AI that is just as real as a human is. At that moment, and this is something that Blade Runner kind of brings up in both movies. In that moment, yes, what would be the point of a human? Because if that can operate on itself and essentially make itself better, then what would be the point of a human? A human can only do so much to better themselves, whereas this program seemingly can do more than that. It, it, this is one of those. This is one of those movies. Same with Blade Runner. Same with quite a bit of horror sci-fi. They question humanity and they question what exactly uh, makes a human. Of course, this movie takes it one step farther, and it essentially is not really questioning humanity uh, as much as it is questioning life in general. Because the puppet master, like I said before, just he just wants to live. He wants to be something, not necessarily something that's organic, but something that is living, which is where life and death come into the play, procreation and then departure and things like that. And so, yeah, we had interesting stuff that we have here because what, yeah, what, once again, what does it mean to be human if we can create something that's better than ourselves? How, think about, I just think about how dangerous that is to create something that is beyond, something that's better than us, better than being a human because we have the resources to do so, whether we did it by purpose, on purpose or by accident. And I mean, yeah, it's kind of far-fetched and in, in towards the future, but when you have things like, okay, recent example, Google Duplex, which can call, make, which can make a call towards the example that Google I.O. gave was a hair salon, and they wanted to schedule an appointment for a haircut. You couldn't, you wouldn't have been able to tell had you not known that you were watching Google I.O. that it was, uh, and uh, that it was not only not necessarily AI, but it was a computer talking to the human because the inflections are just like a human. It, I mean, that has a whole can of worms in and of itself that I'm, we're not really going to go into in the and the ethics of what that means. But what I'm saying is we're moving more towards uh, this reality that Ghost in the Shell is kind of created of not necessarily I not necessarily um, that kind of AI, but AI in a way where things are beginning to become created out of this out of information. And of course, living in an age where information is a huge deal, you have these questions that need to be raised. And Ghost in the Shell was released in 1995, right at the cusp of that of the inf what we call the information age. I, it was just in its infancy at that moment. I think one of the most poignant scenes in the movie that showed me that humanity has really become almost this devalued, expendable hardware is when we're dealing with the trash man who has been taken into custody and we learned that his memories 
are false. They have basically been implanted there by the puppet master. His apartment is a single studio. There's no photos. And he even looks at a photo and it's just him. It's a really weird photo of him like with his dog. And he's like, but I saw my wife there. What happened to her? And it's honestly kind of a heartbreaking scene to see. And they, he says, well, I get my original memories back. And they're like, no, pretty much you won't be able to. And that's really crazy. And I think that ultimately has to do with uh, most people having this ghost implant within them where they're able to uh, communicate through it that way. I guess it's almost like having a cell phone implanted in your head, but it's able to be hacked and that has access to your brain and can feed you false information. It can make you do things that you're not even fully aware of. And in that way, people have become just puppets and machines. And there's really kind of no value left to them anymore if you can just start using them and then throwing them away and their lives are essentially ruined. I found that to be a really poignant scene and very telling of this future. I have more to say, but I'll let Alan give me his thoughts first. Yeah, let me point you in a scarier direction. Uh, let's say that the ghost is not necessarily an implant, but is the human soul, just another name for the human soul. Uh, to me, this is a, or maybe human soul or consciousness, memories, things like that. To me, viewing it in, from that angle, which is where I think it was going, um, is scarier because at this moment, Essentially, when the puppet master took over his mind and what we call ghost hacked him, he got in and was able to implant these fake memories. And so he, the garbage man, was able, was believed that this was truth, that he, whatever he had been, whatever been implant, implanted into his mind was complete truth. And that was, was, that was his life. Come to find out those are completely fake uh, those are completely fake memories, which is why we're which is where the question comes. Okay, what does what makes a human then? Is it his memories? Is it his experiences? Things like that. And so when you have the the puppet master who's doing things like this, which we find out is for more political reasons later on. It, it although I don't think this is necessarily realistic, at least not for a very very long time. I think that this still raises the question, the very important question of okay, well. What yeah? What does make a human a human? Because if because if we are judging it on the basis of experiences, if that can be hijacked, then there is no more human left. I also found it very interesting with the use of symbolism. How this city is—it's like always under construction. You can tell, but it's also falling apart while under construction and i think that is symbolic of humanity in this how it's constantly under construction by implementing these new parts that will supposedly make your life better but nevertheless i don't know it seems like everybody is falling apart here with and i think that kind of comes back to the garbage man scene and even they're just very like souls and identity as a person because the major says i have and i even have an like my own personal sense of my destiny i have a face and a voice that differentiates me but it's what's inside that changes me but 
when they start changing the insides of different people, I mean, they can still look like a human on the outside, like the architecture and buildings look like a building on the outside, but on the inside, it's there. They all seem to be almost vacant. Everything seems to be kind of vacant and abandoned. And it kind of seems like what it's driving at with these people is what is this meaningless life that they're leading if they're constantly being devalued and even if their soul is just being slowly eroded away by this you know massive corporate corporatism i guess i should say that is domineering their lives that scene well okay i'm going to go back to the boat scene real quick to to respond to this because i'm just going to read off the i wrote this quote down uh because i loved it so much uh so the quote, and I've kind of broken this into pieces throughout this podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and just say it outright. Uh, so, leading up to this point, it's her and Bateau talking about uh, what does it mean to be human, things like this, why, how much of Bateau is re- original. Um, they, they were made, and now they have more, they have better abilities, like more athletic abilities, things like that. There's a quote from Major that she says where it goes like this. There are countless... There are countless components that make up a human's body and mind, like all components that make me up as an individual with my own personality. Sure, I have a face and a voice to distinguish myself from others, but my thoughts and experiences are unique to me and I, as I carry a sense of my own destiny. Each of those things are just a small part of it. I collect information to use in my own way. All of that blends into a mixture that forms me and, a, and rise to my consciousness. I feel confined, only, only free to expand myself within the boundaries." The next scene um, is when we have essentially is part two of the story because there's this extended sequence of just music and different visuals that kind of fly by. And from what I got from this was we see many people and wonder how do they also perceive the world around them? What kind of information do they take in and how do they understand it? For me, that scene and the way that this is edited because, I mean, the editing of this movie is fantastic. But especially this scene, just in general, brings up that question that I've been asking a lot. Yeah, what makes a human? Is it the experiences? Is it the information they perceive? But beyond that, how do they perceive the information? Because we don't exactly... The, the city kind of has its own character of its own. And I would consider the city to be more representative of maybe uh, a pathway of information. Um, like a motherboard or something like that, if you want a more literal example. Um, because if you look at it, it's set up in such a way that uh, it, it looks like, I mean, we even see it in, in many moments, like an overview map of it. It looks like, for me, from my own personal perspective, it looks like just a pathway of information. Well, anyways, regardless, um, there's a also the musical score in this moment that I'm talking about when it's kind of showing off the city in part two is what I consider it. The, uh, the theme is called ghost city. That's the name of, that's the name of the track on the soundtrack. So I, I see this, the city more as, uh, yes, representative of humankind, uh, information at its more literal level and things like that. But also, yeah, what does it mean to live in reality? Like, what does it mean to perceive information that's all around us? Because we see glimpses of, like, uh, yeah, shops. We even see a glimpse of a woman who looks 
identical to our main character, but she's wearing a different dress and is eating dinner. And it cuts between its reaction shot of her, uh, of, of the character who looks like major in the restaurant as she turns around and looks at our main character cut to the main character looking back at her. Like she said earlier, you know, we have, I may have a voice, a face and a voice that are identical, that are almost identical to everybody else, but it's how I perceive the information around me that makes me who I am. Even though she's mostly a cyborg, the pieces of human brain that are still inside of her still make her somewhat human, although she questions that reality a little bit later on. There are many just incredible, gorgeous sequences in this movie that have an epic scope, but almost some intimacy with how they're animated and dealt with on this personal level that we spend some time like you said when major is on that boat ride looking in the windows and seeing possibly people that look like her if they're even there at all but also it just there's just different like uh, shots of the city and honestly this scene is worth watching the movie just this scene alone because it is so incredible uh also the scene where yeah. uh, they fight in the water after she chases him that's amazing of course when major's being made in the beginning that's incredible as well and the ending uh battle is really awesome also so these scenes are just really gorgeous just on a visual level like right. just putting yeah. like the philosophical aspect aside visually it's incredible and the music that was composed for this Combining together, it's really haunting. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree. And Kinji Kwai, I think is how you say his last name, mm -hmm. uh, he actually pulled in uh, a more Bulgarian uh, aesthetic for his score. He used Bulgarian harmonies combined with more classical Japanese to make his score. And I have, I love, honestly, I love this score. It's a fantastic score. And yeah, not only it, it kind of blends the old and new. This movie seems to do that in, in a very subtle way of blending new stuff and old stuff and combining them in different ways. But yes, this score is fantastic. I absolutely love it, and I love and it's interesting too because um, the main theme develops just as much as the character does. Because of course, you know you have. Uh, well, I mentioned this earlier. We have three parts to this story. Uh, well, I, I guess I kind of mentioned it, but now I'm going to say it now. This this movie is split up into three parts. We have the what I call the prologue, which is where the major uh, essentially takes out the diplomat who's hiding what we come to know as the one of the programmers for the puppet master. Um, cut to the credit sequence where we essentially see our main character, the major, being born f multiple times, I would even say. Uh, and it's playing this theme called Making of a Cyborg. Move on to part two, which I just mentioned, called Ghost City. Uh, but the main theme is uh, something a bit different. Um, then the very end, the last part three, is called Reincarnation, which is played right before we see Major for a... for uh, Right before we see the Major um, after uh, the blackout when, they, when she morphed together with... The puppet master yeah this the theme goes which is where i love it so much it develops alongside the, the main theme develops alongside the, the main character but in such a way 
where it progresses the story farther than what you typically see. I also wanted to say a few more things about this kind of montage sequence of the city and with Major on the boat. And I believe when she looks up and sees this woman in a dress uh, having dinner, like a fine dining experience, I don't believe that person is really there. Now, it's possible there's some other model that's made for a different purpose that looks like her. But to me, this is Major longing to be more human, to have this personal interaction. Because, like you said... They're in this like sea of people, but how do these people perceive their city and each other? We don't see a whole lot of community going on. We do see like a stream of what I assume are school children running together, which I found to be very interesting and they're colorful, colorfully dressed. But to me, this is major longing to have that interaction, but she can't because she, although she does have the appearance of sexual organs, she ultimately doesn't have any sexual organs that could reproduce, and there would be no purpose for her to go on a date because there's no truly fulfilling, satisfying ending destination to that. So that's how I saw that sequence, and I, if I'm not mistaken, she sees herself one other time, and she looks like a mannequin in a store window. Is that right? Yeah, essentially, the very ending shot of that little montage sequence in part two is the the last shot is a mannequin uh, in the window. Uh, yeah, very representative of the major. That's probably how she perceives herself where we see her from before in the window where she would like to be versus how she sees herself now, which is the mannequin in the window. Uh, just to kind of further my argument for the city being symbolic of humanity. I saw the collapsing architecture as a collapse of the shell of the human body. It's rotting and being replaced by internal machines, and the rain comes in this scene, but seems to wash nothing away. Like a caterpillar goes within a chrysalis and emerges anew, so humanity goes within its shell to emerge anew, and the new humanity is seemingly major where she is superior in every way, but even that is still not the case because we can tell how unsatisfied she is and even how unsatisfied the puppet master is. But when put together, then there is, in the end, it does seem like she is this satisfied, evolved being. I don't, I don't know how she's going to, rep he, she is going to reproduce, but <laughs> anyways. Yes, actually going back to that, uh, Basically, what you just said, how is she going to reproduce? Well, in my mind, I think that she does in the very end with the puppet master, um, but not in the oh. traditional way that we would normally think, because the puppet master, his entire goal uh, is to one of the one of his goals is to procreate. He wants to become life essentially and so he does this he becomes and he even says to the major well once i fuse with you neither of us are really going to be the same you're going to be a bit different and could be representative of maybe even a child giving birth to a child and the next scene the next time we see the major she's a child and his view of procreation this also kind of takes on the role of okay well, what does it mean to also procreate uh his his view of procreation for him uh, which clearly isn't exactly human, not in terms of bodily uh, forms, but in terms of a me mechanical way, yes. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is his view of procreation is what we see here in the end. He creates not necessarily something that is uh, human still, but something 
that is a, f- a combination of both him and the major, which for him seems to be on the line of this is what it means for me to procreate. This is how I can procreate. Once again, we're blurring the lines of what does it mean to be human because I was even struggling to say that he isn't human because of how even the movie Brent brings it up. How can he have a ghost in him because that there's no way he he can do that unless he's AI essentially. They find when they they say this when they capture him for the first time once the trucker runs over the lady in the in the street. Well, that's a very good point. I hadn't really thought about that type of dying in procreation because yes major is no longer really major and the puppet master is no longer really the puppet master once we have this kind of combined being here in the end so yes i guess in that way they did die and we did see them shot so physically those shells or bodies whatever you want to call them were destroyed as well so to me this seems like there is a much greater emphasis and value placed upon the mind the spirit the soul i know those are different but whatever you really want to ultimately call them it does seem like there's more emphasis on like the internal and the external and i believe that's fairly well handled in a couple of scenes that are really telling So when I first saw this movie, I was pretty jarred when Major disrobes and she is essentially nude. Now, like I said, she doesn't, they they look like female organs, but they're not really female organs. And the reason she technically has to do this is explained in the movie because her whole body is thermoptics which allows her to go invisible. But we can clearly tell that her partner, uh, Bato, is very uncomfortable whenever she is seemingly, quote, naked. Uh, He's always covering her up with his coat. Uh, We see that in two scenes. Or when she is disrobing, he looks away. You can tell that he is very uncomfortable with that, and she has no... She doesn't care at all. She she doesn't give it a second thought, and it seems like others don't really as well. And to me, that further just says that the body is no longer this sacred thing to be valued, but rather a tool that can be used to achieve greater purposes, if that makes sense. Yeah, there is a heavy emphasis on the mind and the internal, uh, the intangible, I would even go as far as to say, uh, there is heavy emphasis on that because this is a movie about what does it mean to be human. This is a movie about how do you perceive things. This is a movie about, yeah, philosophical debate, all kinds of stuff like that. So, yeah, heavy, heavy emphasis on the mind, the internal struggles. Uh, you know, what does it mean? What does it mean to. What does it mean to even live in the first place? That's one of the big things in here too. Yeah, uh, I did. Admit, I did see that uh, little. I would even call it very subtle because uh, I didn't notice it until my very last viewing of this movie that Bateau. Uh, well, I, I noticed it in the last, in the second to last, but especially when I noted it in this this last viewing that Bateau always wanting to cover her up. He's very. Uh, he is more human than she is, and so he has more of a social implication as to um, how to operate in the outside world whereas she may not have that uh once again social skills we're touch- we're getting the social skills at this point in a very of course a very subtle way but yeah 
it, when she hops onto the boat, uh, she begins to take off her scuba, uh, her, her diving gear, and he looks away. Or when she uh, chases the guy down and fights him in the water, he, when the when he, when she defeats the the guy, she puts his coat on her. Or later on, uh, at the very end of the movie, when they find the puppet master and she's getting ready to fuse with and go get ready to dive into him, he puts his coat over her. But it's interesting how he doesn't put anything else over the puppet master. I think it's because he views her as more human than the puppet master where which he knows is is clearly an ai uh in his mind so yeah very subtle i mean it's clear i mean we know that bateau is more human physically than uh than our main character is but that's what makes the story so interesting is because our main character is not actually human uh we get to explore that inform that ex we get to explore that meaning of what does it mean to be one so yeah this is something that I actually really enjoyed about Beto's character. Very subtly, it doesn't actually ever come out and say that this is how he feels, but we, but by his actions and and stuff like that, you get to understand why. And that's why um, this is one of the big things here about just anime in general is that it it can do things in a very subtle way, um, animation wise, that you you maybe even look over however many times you've seen the movie. And although there is a fairly liberal use of I guess you could say nudity in this movie. I believe this is kind of the Denis Villeneuve approach, whereas he does use nudity in his movies, such as in Blade Runner 2049, but not to glorify it or even glamorize it. And I, nudity is often used just for that purpose in many animes, but I believe in this movie it is not glorified in this kind of titillating way just to draw people in or just to be uh, over the top about how it is used. I think it's used for the specific purpose that I just mentioned. What is the value of the body? Do these people feel shame with just being openly naked like that? And we should note it's never uh, men in this. It's just the major and the puppet master and the puppet master doesn't really have a gender. It is interesting they chose to make Major have the appearance of a woman. But to me, just like with the nudity in Blade Runner 2049, it is kind of used to show that in the future, the human body will not have the same amount of value. It won't be a shameful thing. It will be openly exposed and nobody will give a second thought about it. And I already feel we are, I don't think that's right at all. I uh, don't think I'm trying to promote that at all. But right. I do see that being moved in that direction where so many TV shows nowadays do put nudity in that, not to make a philosophical point or even to create a commentary on society, but simply to play to base carnal desires. And I don't see that movie doing this. Oh yeah, no, it's. It, I would even go. I would even say that uh, I, I've seen this so many times, but I would even go as far as to say, yeah. We're, Going back to the line that Major says, uh, I have and I may look like everybody else, but I have different experiences of my own. Well, we see her and the puppet master naked more than one time, and like you said, those are both they're they're both uh, cyborgs. I mean, physically speaking, they're both cyborgs. They're not human, and yeah, we never see a man naked in this movie at all. It's only the two, only those two characters, really. 
And so, yeah, I would even go as I would go as far as to say that what you said as well, and then as all, also adding on to it, this movie is also showing once again we're blurring the line of what does it mean to be human. Yes, humans are going to have the the uh, tools to procreate in a physical form, but when we get to the major and especially at the end with uh, the puppet master, we have it's more of a tool in a diff- much different way to procreate. Uh, but the movie is not sexualizing either of them at any point in this movie. They may look like they have features that belong more, f- that are more feminine, but that doesn't mean that it's that it's being s- that they're sexualizing it either. Because I, I and I'm agree with you on this one too. At no point in this movie did I ever feel that they were going down that route, and I don't think that. And I'm actually I can say this: there, that was not the intention either. Because I feel like if they had gone down that route, we would have it would have gone into a territory that the movie didn't. The movie never really touched on at any point in the movie, um, other than other than the subtle message there towards the end. So yes, this is one of this and Blade Runner, and although a movie having too much nudity will be more of a turnoff for me, but at least with this one and Blade Runner, the way that they use their nudity in this way is more, like you said, a more philosophical message. Sits better in my mind because it is more of an art form than it is trying to trying to produce some kind of sexual nature or something like that it it feels like we're viewing it's it's, it has great respect for the human body and the reason why we see these two naked at more than one point in the movie once again to glorify to ask the question of uh just because we look the same doesn't mean we are all the same right and in yeah, I guess I agree with you in this roundabout way. It does have respect for the human body because to me it is saying that yes, although there is this philosophical message of this like I don't know importance of the soul and the mind, there is still value in the body, and we get that I believe when the puppet master is having his monologue about saying man is not defined by uh, memory cannot be defined. But uh, nevertheless, mankind is defined by memories, and he seems to really be promoting this, uh, you know, existential computer. But then he also talks about the importance of the, nece- the necessity of the body. And if a movie does make you think about the use of nudity and the, I don't know, sacred nature of the human body, then I would say it you know, mission accomplished. And I, I got that with Denis Villeneuve's Blade Runner movie as well. And I do think that is a commentary. And I think more people should kind of wake up to that, that it's clearly this commentary on society where people are being fed to their carnal instincts. And it's just, it's not the right path to go down. So this movie addresses those issues in Uh, obvious ways but then also in very philosophical ways like we talked about so coming towards the end here where they kind of have this final battle which is which is really great when major takes it on uh takes on this like spider tank and she tries to rip off the hatch but her body just breaks apart that was really shocking for me yeah i remember the first time i watching this i was a little bit freaked out because it sounds like the major just really didn't care when this happened uh, it didn't really bother her except for the fact that great now I have to now I have to 
go in for repair later on or something like that, you know? Yeah. First time I watched this, I was a little bit freaked out because of like the muscles Oof. in her back are going to town and all sorts of stuff. But yeah, it, it, even then, uh, this protector, almost like a termite, um, of the, of the puppet master, uh, it's quite, quite an interesting, uh, this one thing I actually really like about this movie is that the action is very, very spread out. And we spend more of our time talking about the more philosophical implications of what does it mean for this message than we are spending time uh, having fun in an action scene. The action in this movie is fantastic, don't get me wrong, but when they... In, and, but when the mo- the meat of this movie is not with that, it's more with what uh, what the major's going through in her own mind, not necessarily a more external force. And I liked that we have a more subtle way of introducing... Uh, we have a more subtle way of introducing this... Uh, th- this action scene and it, it's raining so once again rain of course usually water is symbol symbolic of life uh, per usual in movies so once the puppet master and uh our main character the major come head to head it's raining um all sorts of like that even the i it, the uh drone not a drone but the tank even shoots up a family tree I mean, if, if the symbolism wasn't already thick enough in this movie, it, it go, takes it even a step farther. Um, shoots across this fossil of a dinosaur, up the family tree, things like that. And then, uh, yeah, then the Major, of course, puts on the camouflage, takes off the rope, puts on the camouflage, and tries to crack open the tank. But is once again, she is useless to do that until Bateau comes along, which is a human, to help her out. I do get honestly confused, though, here in the end between the conversation between Major and the Puppet Master, and I believe through our conversation now, I've understood it for the most part, but just talking about the organic elements and the actual machine elements are are inferior, but together the sum is greater than its parts, if that makes sense. I, I think I get what they're saying here. But uh, also, I do believe there is a bit of kind of new age uh, philosophy or theology thrown in here talking about becoming one with all things. That's very much a new age mindset. And uh, also, we do get this very much so in The Matrix. And I also couldn't help but think of the Wachowski—gosh, I can't say their names—the Wachowski siblings— uh, other movie, V for Vendetta, where uh, Natalie Portman says God is in the rain. Well, that's very new age as well. And just thinking of the rain here and this like, kind of new age thought here at the end. Yeah, this this part is a little bit confusing. Uh, this is once again, this is this is the climax. This is when the two uh, opposing forces kind of meet together. And yeah, the biggest question here is why pick the major out of anybody else. I think the reason why is because the puppet master is looking for someone or something that is just as, just almost as conscious as a human is, but is not completely, but is so far from being a human. um, That way he can migrate into that mind. And major is just the perfect choice for this because she has pieces of humor in her, but for the most part, she is a cyborg. So, and he even says, I've been watching you for a long time because he has access to this, this, vast, this vast network of, of information, as he says. So, yeah, we get, and we even have like this 
Picasso-like painting when uh, the major, I think it's the major, looks at, yeah, the major looks at, this when they swap bodies at this point, the major looks at the puppet master who's in her body, and at one moment, uh, the puppet master is just looking straight up, and when she's looking uh, at him, and then once he says the mirror line, um, then he turns and faces toward her. And it's it's very symbolic of the, the dichotomy between them because she is so interested in knowing wh- how how does he do this? What is his? What, how does he achieve being so human and having a ghost in him? And then of course he is very interested in her because he's his ticket to live again. And so we finally get the two opposing opposing forces. I would even say that at this moment they really aren't opposing forces anymore because up until the end uh they've been wanting she they she's she's the one being pursuing the the villain the whole time and it isn't until now when they finally meet up face to face and are connected and she dives in when uh we finally get some kind of resolution so yeah this ending a little bit confusing i can see why you think that i was confused as well um but it makes a lot of sense uh, and that's just a piece of it, um, because they're, they, I would even say they go as far as to, uh, they don't exactly show it, but once again, you have that procreation, uh, theme of more, yeah, that theme of procreation in here where they doesn't, they don't, they doesn't show them actively having sex, but when you look at it from a very broader view, it's his version of it. So the very ending of this movie, I found to be quite symbolic and uh, kind of a homage to some other films that were before it. I'm really interested to know your take on it because we see this new being, this new com- combo being uh, coming out of Bato's secret house and it's really cool. The wind kind of blows through its hair and it looks out over the city like it has some grand purpose it's going to now go enact. It very much reminded me of the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey when we see the star child looking over the earth. And even if you read Arthur C. Clarke's book, it goes even further about what will what what will it do now. And honestly, it's even very reminiscent of the creation story of Genesis where God is just looking over this kind of murky darkness of the world and, you know, kind of deciding what to do with coming like forming it into a new being so that's kind of how i saw this end although i feel like i'm left on almost not really a cliffhanger but i don't know i feel like there is more to the story that but it just does kind of end this way where i have no idea where it's going to go from here clearly there it feels like it's being set up but I don't know where it's going, but I did see it very much as this new, powerful creation looking out over the world. Yeah, and say we were to... Okay, at this moment, it's no secret that she is part major and part puppet master, and they've become one. She's a child. They've essentially given birth to a new... kind, Not essentially, but they have given birth to this new being, essentially. And so... She's overlooking the the city after leaving Bateau's house and says, where should I go next? The the network is vast. And at one moment, her voice even changes from a little girl back to the major's voice again. Uh, Her regular voice we had from earlier. Um, 
So yeah, th this ending, I I wouldn't say it kind of is a cliffhanger. I would say it's. I don't think I don't really view it as a cliffhanger. It, I see it more as it. Yes, it is setting up for potential sequels that we don't th that could happen in the future that end up doing happening. But at the same time, had there not been any sequels, I think this is a great ending because we because okay now the major is this new kind of person she's both she is as human as she could be which is her goal the entire time so now it's up to us well what does that mean what is she going to do with this newfound ability this newfound um, way of living when she's let out into the real world now that she has both puppet master and herself in this new body of hers and of course and but Tobin says yeah this is the best we could find for you and it's very symbolic of even she even so okay this is the line this is the time when she says when i was a child i spake as a child understood as a child thought as a child but when i became man i put away th those childish things which is funny because she's a child at this point at least body wise and not a man so yeah i think that this movie essentially what it's trying to say is yeah how is she going to perceive the world around her now with this new knowledge that she has that she's gotten from the puppet master Oh, so before we give our concluding thoughts, do you have any idea why there is the use of the hound dog in this movie? We see the hound dog perching up on the bridge, kind of giving a sad face during the montage boat scene. And then it's also, there's a hound dog in the picture with a picture of the garbage man and possibly one other picture of a hound dog. And I know on the front cover of Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, there's a hound dog. I don't know. Yeah, I did notice the dog, but I didn't exactly understand the implications of it. It is strange. I don't get it either. Maybe it'll be revealed in the sequel, but that's kind of a mystery to this movie. Maybe the creator just likes hound dogs. I don't know. Maybe. That's very possible. So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Ghost in the Shell? Yeah, uh, I love this movie. Um if if seeing it five times isn't clear enough, I would honestly I would go back and watch it right now. And I'm actually kind of considering that to be honest with you. Um, yeah, Ghost in the Show is freaking awesome. I mean, I'm glad that we have. Okay, this is my this is like right down what I love to talk about. Very very philosophical, ethically gray questions. I just love that kind of stuff. Um, but, but regardless, uh, Ghost in the Show, yes, it is a, it is an anime classic and it is going to be one for years to come. It's going to be, I, I would hope continue to grow in popularity because it is something that is not only important, but it's also very thought provoking and very question. It very much questions once again, what does it mean to be human in the same vein of, Bla of Blade Runner? I would consider Blade Runner and this movie to be uh, in various, very, very, very similar veins. Yeah, Ghost in the Show, it is, it, I think this is a fantastic movie. It has its moments, uh, especially when you're watching it for the first couple of times where the pacing is a really odd. But seeing it this last time, I understood why it is so odd because really this whole movie takes place in just a, a couple of days. But because we follow the major and her pursuit of becoming more human and that kind of a thing, it makes a lot more sense to me. And so, yeah, once again, what does it mean to be human? Is it the, is it to the, the ability to possess memories? Is it for us to perceive information? Who is the main character now? Is she human? Is she AI? Or is she even aware of her own existence? The movie doesn't exactly answer these questions, but it asks them, which is, I think, the most important part, because it doesn't 
exactly need to answer these questions because that's not exactly the whole point of answering everything that it brings up. It, it's asking these questions for you to become a better human being and things like that. And so, yes, in my mind, this is a very important movie and one that you probably should see before you die because it is just that important and is that that thought-provoking and that riveting. Ghost in the Shell, yeah, I freaking love it. Uh, 9 out of 10. Highest of highest recommends. I would highly suggest that you see this before you die. It is one of it is one of those that is that good. I definitely agree with you. This is not just an anime classic, but just a classic film in general that will go down in history as such. Ultimately, this is a beautifully haunting movie with some of the greatest animation ever, uh, but some of the questions and topics seem to go beyond comprehension. Maybe upon many, many viewings, it would make sense, but I am left with some more questions than I felt like I got answers. This was an extremely ambitious undertaking. I'm excited to see more. I did really want to give this 10 out of 10, but because its philosophical musings don't seem to fully arrive at a destination, I have to give it 9 out of 10 with a strong, strong recommend. So don't get me wrong, there is some wonderful... Uh, just like everything we've talked about, it's really clarified it a lot for me, but I feel like some of the philosophical things, they just almost went like so far. I just, I'm like, I don't even know if I could understand this. I would highly suggest watching it again. It honestly, as much as that sounds like a dumb answer, it really does <laughs> help under, help you understand what this movie is trying to say. Uh, watching it this last time, even then, even though I've seen it five times, I got so much out of it, again, that I would love to go back and see it one more time to see what else I can pull out of it. it is, I mean, yes, it is a very dense movie, and that is a criticism all of its own, but it is very... This is one of the most rewatchable movies I've ever seen. I'll, I'll say that, because it has so much to say, and, how, and it's so dense that you get something new out of it every time. I would highly suggest you go back and watch it again. Oh, yeah. I definitely will own this on Blu-ray. I definitely can't wait to watch it again. I do remember the first time I saw it, I was actually disappointed because I was expecting just an action movie, but this is far beyond that. Although the action is great, this movie is extremely deep, and you eventually will, the more viewings you see it, it's like walking into the deep end of the pool. Your first viewing will probably be somewhat shallow because Ah, there's no way you can get this on your first viewing unless maybe you are a been a philosophy professor for most of your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're but a philosophy major or a philosophy professor, you might get this on your first viewing. But other than that, is it might be a bit of a struggle for many. So, but it definitely does reward upon repeat viewings, and even upon the initial viewing, it's such a gorgeous film to behold that that's just worth the watch alone even if you don't necessarily get into all the philosophical aspects this movie is highly enjoyable and highly rewatchable and uh yeah i did honestly try to watch it with the subtitles but i quickly realized those subtitles were directly translating the japanese language and not the english language because it was quite different in the beginning major said she had a headache but the subtitle said she was on her period yes um yeah the japanese and the english dubs are quite okay they say the same thing but they say it in two completely different ways the english dub is going to be easier to understand but if you want a more accurate depiction of what 
the movie is trying to say, you I would highly suggest watching it with the Japanese, or at least with the subtitles on, because uh, that is more accurate to what the Japanese is saying versus the English dub, but the English dub is just easier to understand. I, and it didn't make any sense, though, because Major is a cyborg. She she doesn't have that female organ. She can't have a period. I got confused. I shut him off and I just decided to go for it and try and pay attention as best I could. I did rewind a couple times to ensure I got my quotes correct and things correct. But yeah, upon repeat viewings, I believe I'll get even more out of this. And listeners, we want to know what you think of this film what did you get out of it what did we possibly miss what did we not discuss that you want to know more about our thoughts of so make sure to leave some comments below and we'd love to engage with you and talk more about this iconic film uh, we also will be finishing up our jurassic park retrospective series very soon uh, jurassic world does come out very soon so look for that finish to that retrospective series for now jurassic World 3 has already been announced. Also, we just got the trailer just dropped for the brand new Halloween movie. I'm very excited about that. Go ahead and check out all of the episodes we've been recording. We're in the middle of that retrospective series. If you're confused on the Halloween canon, don't be confused. I've got a podcast up explaining all of the different timelines and... What that all means, it can get a little hairy, but with my guide, you'll be ready to go. Uh, we've got uh, some individual podcasts that we've been doing over solo, and we got another one over silence. So we've got a lot of great content coming for you. Go head over to the YouTube channel. We do some weekend of release uh, reviews over there, and on the website, we have some more in in-depth articles as well alan has some great anime articles that he's been working on so go check those out on the website if you want to know some uh more great anime as well but we just wanted to say thank you again for coming along on this cerebral journey with us and talking about some of these incredible questions of life and philosophical musings it's been great i'm actually really looking forward to uh journeying more into this ghost in the shell world with ghost in the shell 2 innocence and i'm really looking forward to it so uh, make sure to stay up to date with that as well and we will catch you next time